Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. I'm Brother Gregory, and uh, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. We've been going through a lot of books of the Bible. And uh, I've been preparing a lot of other things that we're trying to get through the book of Ezra, uh, which we haven't even really started. Once we start, I want to keep going through it. And uh, it's linked to so many other books that I've actually started a half a dozen articles or more to try to give a, uh, you know, to, to relate what they're telling us in the book of Ezra and what, which also includes the book of Nehemiah and is mentioned in, you know, uh, mentioning events in, uh, Esther and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Chronicles, uh, because Ezra supposedly also wrote Chronicles. So all these things are tied together and when we're tying them together, and I've done this with many of the other studies that we've done. I've even been going back and tying what will be uh, our study on Ezra and what we've already done in the study of uh, Ecclesiastes and some of the other books and tying them together because there is a common theme in the Bible that is giving us a message which also is included in Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus that is generally and commonly misunderstood for the same reason that the Pharisees who were astute in their study of the Torah, who spoke Hebrew, still had the message of Moses completely wrong. And we know that they had it completely wrong First, because Jesus said so. And, uh, but second, because once we begin to understand what they are telling us in the biblical text, then we can start seeing, you know, what is really the essence of the message that is in the scriptures. Because there's a lot of people that are talking about, you know, that they're Somebody just posted on Facebook a couple of days ago on, on one of the groups that I'm on. And it's not a part of us. I'm just on the group because they supposedly are talking about the nature of the church and the first century church. And they, they constantly refer to the ecclesia. Uh, and they don't understand the words that they're using. But they then they eventually produce these doctrines that all you have to do is say that you believe in Jesus that you accept him as your savior, savior, and that you are actually saved. And that's not what Jesus said. Jesus actually said, not those who say, but those who do it the will of my Father. And he is constantly emphasizing that you have to do, not that you have to earn, because there's no way that God can owe you. You're not going to get make God in debt to you. We got that. But we have to do more than just say. If, if uh, that's all we had to do, we could save ourselves. 
by saying words. And we turn just the words that come out of our mouth into some sort of magical chant. You know, or, or, or spell. And we say these magic words and then we're automatically saved. But if you're a liar, a liar to other people, liar to yourself, if you're self-deceived, if you're under a strong delusion, you can say those words, but you don't even know what you're talking about. Or you may know what you're talking about and you're just saying those words to deceive other people. Now, when they say confess Christ... Or that Christ is your Savior, or Christ, you know, you know that you believe in God, or any of these things. Confession—the words that they're using for confession—actually means that you have to put them into action, because you can you can profess with your lips, as it seems to be saying that Paul says, but you have to take Paul in the context of Paul, because Paul goes out and tells us all kinds of things. That if we're doing, we have no inheritance in the kingdom. So Paul's always talking about what we're doing. Things that we should do, things that we shouldn't do, tables that we can eat of, tables that we cannot eat of. And if we don't know what he's talking about when he says these tables, because, you know, I mean, he's quoting David saying there's a table that's a snare. What's he talking about? Well, this is this is a serious problem. Because people don't know what he's talking about, yet they're talking about Paul and they're talking about Jesus. And one of the reasons they don't know what he's talking about is they don't know the meaning of words. And there's lots of different words to know the meaning of that we don't know the meaning of when we read the Bible. And so that's what we put in a lot of the peripheral are articles that are supportive of what we are telling you in about the biblical text. We go back and we look at the words as they were used in the context in the Hebrew or in the Greek, and then we we relate them to what the New Testament said and what the Old Testament said. Somebody again, I heard somebody commenting on something somebody said that well, that's Old Testament. The Old Testament has been done away with. Well, if the Old Testament was done away with, why is Paul and Jesus and Peter and James quoting the Old Testament all the time? Jesus is constantly referring to the Old Testament. Now, what was being done away with is not everything that Moses said because we see Jesus and Moses in the New Testament in agreement. They're not in disagreement. What was being done away with is what the Pharisees and probably some of what the Sadducees thought, maybe even some of what uh, the Essenes thought, certainly what some of what they end up calling the, the Zealots thought, was wrong. And that what they said that was wrong, their misinterpretation of the Old Testament that led them to do all kinds of things like the Corbin of the Pharisees. That was making the word of God to none effect. Corbin, the word Corbin's all over the Old Testament. But they translate it as sacrifice. In the New Testament, they don't say sacrifice. They actually put the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Corbin in the text. At least in one place. In the other place, they translate it 
treasury. Because Corban was your sacrifice, sometimes your sacrifice went into a treasury. One of the things that people would sacrifice was like goats and sheep. And where did those go? Well, the reality is, is that, you know, they talk about sacrificing the first fruits. So if you had a goat, theoretically, if you, if you take a strict interpretation of sacrificing the first fruits of a goat or the first fruits of a sheep, that would be a young sheep, never had a lamb before, now has a lamb, that lamb is going to be sacrificed on the altars of the Levites. And they're not going to take that little baby goat and take it down. You know, what does it weigh? Ten pounds? Uh, nine pounds? They're going to go down and we're going to kill it and burn it up. No, they were a lot more practical than that. That isn't what they were going to do. They're going to, not going to slit its throat, put it on a pile of stones and set it on fire. That, even the the, the Pharisees did not believe that that was what you were supposed to do. We know the Pharisees, we know the Levites, who some Levites were Pharisees, because Pharisees is like a denomination. And uh, some Levites were zealots. Uh, many Levites were just ministers, but there were also those people who went to Levites who had a seen beliefs and they would start whole villages. Or whole villages, you know, the majority of the village would be people who believed in the seen teachings or denomination. You can call it a denomination. They they didn't call themselves a seen. We have articles up and you can go read those articles. If you're a newcomer, you may not know what I'm talking about. But that they had ideas about the Torah that were completely different than the Pharisees. They read Hebrew. They'd been around. Their their particular philosophy is traced back at least 300 years before Christ. It, and it was found in Greece, and it was found in uh, Rome. It was found all over the known world. It was a, a particular ideas about the sacred scriptures. And one of the things that they did, generally speaking, because they they were not a homogeneous group, they didn't have everybody doing the exact same thing, but they had a certain thread of uh, beliefs or even ideologies that flowed through what they were doing and how they lived that regulated what you would call their ethics. And their principles of what's right. And one of the things they did was they supported their communities through charity. That was almost pervasive throughout what would be called the Essene community. Yet one of the other things a lot of them did is they didn't take oaths. They, they did, which was often required if you signed up for social welfare systems in Rome or social welfare systems in Corinth or social welfare systems in Athens, you would have to sign up, you'd become a member, you'd be registered, and then you would be expected to pay a certain amount in. Now, early in Rome, you know, four or five hundred years before Christ, 
almost all the offerings that were provided for their systems of social welfare were free will offerings. But if, if we go back to the time of Moses into the Akkadians, into the Canaanites, into places like Sodom, uh, during the time of Abraham, uh, places like Sumer, they had systems of social welfare in their city-states that took care of the needy of society to one degree or another. And that's why we wrote the article on the turtle dove goddess. This turtle dove goddess, which we've written a supportive article on, and we've also written about the social welfare system of Sumer. And some of this information is coming out in because of modern archaeology. Now, we talked about the... Uh, the the thousands upon thousands of cuneiform tablets that they're now translating and and this is filtering out the universities and archaeologists and you know in the article on Sumer we're quoting uh, articles that are based on some of this new information that are, is being published in the New York Times but the New York Times is publishing it because it's advocating state-run welfare systems. They're advocating that everybody sign up and pay in through some form of taxation into a social welfare system within your given country or city or state and then the state will pass out that redistribution of wealth that people had to pay in to take care of the needy of their community. These systems that they set up, they're not new. Social welfare through the state, which we see being set up by uh, FDR, is not new. It was new to the United States. It was new to America. But it's not new in history. So we're going to explore that, but we're going to look at some of these words. We've written a lot about them, but I'm going to particularly go to a quote by Sam Harris in a debate with with uh, Jordan Peterson, and we're going to clear that up. But what we are going to talk about is a uh, goat. Sam Harris said a, a goat means a goat. And I've actually got a link to a part of that. He, he made quite a few comments. It was a, a, a debate with Jordan Peterson, and I think Eric Weinstein or somebody was the moderator of it. And I heard it originally, and he said a goat is a goat is a goat. And then, then expounding upon that, he was talking about goat means goat. And again, he's quoting from the Bible because he's trying to prove that there is no God, because he believes there is no God. He thinks it's all made up. And he's using the religion, uh, you know, the Bible to attack religion, which is a very good instrument to use to attack religion. But best you go and attack the specific beliefs of a religion or their practices. And of course he was referring to the fact that people were uh, killing goats and and supposedly setting them on the piles of stone and burning them up. That's not what they were doing originally. Even at the time of the Pharisees, they had huge fields that if you gave a goat or a sheep, it was put in with these flocks 
if it eventually got to near Jerusalem, it was put into these flocks because every goats and sheep are being sacrificed all over Israel, all over Judea. And they weren't being set up on piles of stone. Occasionally there was fires that they set things up. We, I, I know I've seen a lot of the pictures. You're not going to show many photographs of that particular time. We know there were altars. We know that there was things that were burnt up on those altars. But it is very clear if you look into the text carefully, which why it needs so many supporting articles, that the altars were actually a gathering of men. And that when you were giving your full-grown baby goat that was butcher age or your full-grown baby sheep that was now butcher age and ready to be butchered and and eaten, you were going to give that to the Levite of your congregation because the Levites were the shepherds of society. And so they were taking care of the needy of society. And we go into this on in the article on Sumer in reference to the altars of Jehovah Nisi. Why why were they called Jehovah Nisi? Now, when I go and read all these Bible scholars and, and commentaries, Jehovah Nisi, nobody knows where this word Nisi comes from. There's all kinds of debate and discussion. Well, the goddess of Sumer was called Nisi. And that goddess, that turtle dove goddess of Nisi was the social welfare system of Sumer. And and Moses was setting up a a social welfare system for Israel, which they were going to be in great need of that. You got hundreds of thousands of people moving across the desert in difficult times. People are getting injured. People are getting sick. People are getting old. People, uh, they have battles where people are, uh, you know, the husbands may be uh, killed or injured. There's widows and orphans everywhere. So you have to take care of them. You have to have some way of taking care of them. And that's what the altars of clay and stone were all about. That's, that's what united all those different tribes to come to the aid of Abraham when a, an entire army came through and took one city-state after another. And took people captive, captive, and and stole all their gold, all their silver, and was hauling it away. And overnight, Abraham raised an army, because why? Because people piled up stone and burned up sheep and goats. No, because they created a social welfare system based on charity. When you do that, you create the social bonds of a free society. So we have another article about social bonds. We we refer to them as social bonds. There's other other ways you can refer to them as. But Dr. Malone says that we're a sick society and we need to reestablish the social bonds. What is the sickness? The sickness is exactly what Peter said it would be. It's exactly what Paul said it was going to be in the future. It's exactly what all the prophets referred to, which was the covetous practices of society. Sumer's turtle dove goddess provided welfare, I don't know originally, difficult to tell, 
But eventually, it provided it through forced offerings, which was the same practice that the Pharisees were doing through the civil power of Herod with their Corbin. It was a system of social welfare through compelled offerings, forced offerings, by men who exercised authority one over the other, but called themselves benefactors. And we see right in the New Testament, Jesus giving a directive to his ecclesia that they are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. Which is what they were doing in Sumer. Which, that what they were doing in many of the other city-states. And we've written lots of different articles. City-states, cities of blood, which is referenced all the time. Jeremiah talks about the people doing works of iniquity because there is blood on their hands. Uh, Proverbs talks about having one purse and consenting to have one purse. Uh, they talk about, you know, like I said, building the cities of blood, which are, let's build us a city where the city is like a cauldron and we be the flesh in that cauldron. And And you go back to Exodus and they talk about in Egypt, they ate freely of the flesh pots, using the same Hebrew words that we see later in reference to the cities of blood as cauldrons where the people are the flesh. And then, of course, in the New Testament, we see a warning that we are not to bite one another lest we be devoured. Because if you set up these systems, these tables of social welfare through force, what you will lead to is a degeneration of society and a destruction of that society. So anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about goats because there's so many places they mention goats. And a goat is not always a goat. Uh, there's a she-goat. There's goats and sheep. They talk about the separation of goats and sheep. Each of these usages, sometimes they're spelled different or slightly different, but they have a different meaning. And then eventually we will put the this this radio broadcast and podcast on these subjects on each individual page so that when people come they can find out the difference. But we'll be right back to do that. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, anyway, like I said, uh, Sam Harris trying to prove there is no God and debating somebody like Jordan Peterson. They were traveling around and, and having this debate every few nights, I guess, or something. And they recorded a lot of them. You can, you, you can look, listen to a lot of them on the Internet. But, uh, and I've seen this before with other guys who debate this idea that, you know, the Bible is not true and that religion is all made up. And, and the truth is a lot of religion is made up. <laughs> a lot of the religious denominations of the world today, I mean, there's 40,000 Christian denominations or more. They can't all be right because some of them are in vast disagreement with one another. And, you know, just to, 
go through and, and pick on the individual religions. And, of course, we have people who pick on us. And, and and we go to their website after they say a few things and find out also why do they think this or what, why are they saying this. And and they are picking on everybody. It's <laughs> going down a long list of everybody who uh, has a recording up on the Internet or has a website or, you know, has some sort of ministry that they're sharing. And of course, we have, you know, a, a significant Internet presence. We have thousands of recordings probably now. Uh, we have hundreds of articles and we're putting these uh, recordings on the pages to give you a verbal explanation so it's not just reading. You can find Keys to the Kingdom with Brother Gregory on all kinds of podcast servers. So if you have a favorite podcast, just look for that and uh, you can listen to them. And uh, uh, we post uh, recordings on our uh on our network, our email network, that is independent of uh, a lot of other servers and, and things like that. And, of course, ultimately, we're trying to get people to gather in what we call the living network, which is the way the early church actually organized. And they needed to organize because the world was in a lot of turmoil. There was there were shortages of food. There was shortages of money. There was shortages of... Uh, industry, there was invading armies, there was civil unrest, there were riots in the streets, and uh, a disruption of economies, and then there was volcanic eruptions by 70 AD, and uh, it, it, there was a lot of turmoil. And Christians did not eat at the table, as Paul was saying, of Caesar. Because Caesar provided free bread based on covetous practices. He took away from one group and gave to another. And that was preached against by Jesus himself. He said, we aren't to be like that. Have men who exercise authority to take from one class of citizen, or maybe even from foreigners, oppress the foreigners in your midst, and in order to provide social welfare. Just just before the uh, show, I heard from Epic Times, a good source of news. They don't have all the answers, but they were talking about a new law that went across all 50 states where irrevocable family trusts no longer protect your family from heavy, heavy taxation. So, like, you know, like if you... If you died and your kids inherited your home and it was in one of these irrevocable trusts, it used to be this way with everybody owned property, but if it was in an irrevocable trust, something that they had to do extra to defend their their inheritance, then the government would come in and rob the widow and orphan. They would take away, you know, half the value or more of whatever they inherited. Sometimes they would have to sell the business just to pay the taxes. Uh, And people had no way of preventing this because it's become law in most countries that when a husband dies, the state can come in and rob the widows and orphans. And everybody goes to church, keeps singing their songs and praising God a God, I'm not sure what God they're praising because they're not doing what Christ said. They're not taking care of the widows and orphans. 
they're actually robbing them. Well, this new law does away. It was March of this year. Went into effect. The irrevocable family trusts no longer give you that protection. So what literally happened, like if they bought a home a number of years ago, it was $100,000. And now their kids inherit the home. And the house is worth two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand dollars. They have to pay taxes on that difference, which could be taxes on two hundred thousand dollars, inheriting what it was technically a hundred thousand dollar home. <laughs> so they may owe more taxes <laughs> than than the house was originally worth. And of course, this all comes about because of the the great hidden tax, which is inflation. Because the house is not really worth more. It's the dollars you have are worth less. And the more the dollars you have that are worth less, the more you're taxed. I mean, we've we've talked about this before, that when they first instituted income tax on wages and salaries, which was technically in the 30s, because there was none on normal wages and salaries before that, uh except for fiduciaries of corporations, that you could make enough to buy three homes. And you still didn't owe any taxes. But um, because of inflation now, you may owe a lot of taxes because now you're making where, you know, $3,000 a year was really top wages. I mean, you were really making big bucks. I mean, you you could buy a home, you know, with a two-year mortgage, making that kind of money. And uh, you could probably save it up. I mean, most people bought their first automobiles cash, which might have only cost $500, but that same $500 today would be $50,000. Yeah. Or, or at least... Uh, I, you know, I have to do the math, but anyway, it might be thousands of dollars. Thousands and thousands, you know, $5,000, $6,000, I don't know, it just depends on what year we're looking at. But, uh, they would pay cash. That's how much, you people were retiring from farming at 45. Because you were still using gold and silver money. You can't do that anymore because you've gone to this other fractional reserve system. So there's a cause and effect, but most people don't know that because they don't study economics. They don't understand how it works. I can give you quotes from some of the top economists in the world that say your social security system has no money in it whatsoever at all now, yet... Just to give you an example, on the Epoch Times, they just came out with a story a couple of weeks ago that Social Security Trust Fund, which does not exist, there is no such thing as a Social Security Trust Fund. Uh, I mean, they have something they label and they, they put money supposedly in it. It's just book entries. But there is no separate, the money that you pay into Social Security, there is no division. The Supreme Court has ruled that numerous times. There's no division of funds. It's just on pieces of paper they create this division of funds. And they reinvest it to get interest to help pay for Social Security benefits. But they're going to run out entirely by 2033. 
And then they can't pay out anymore, supposedly. Well, they can't pay out any now. But they're still doing it. But the way they're doing it is they're borrowing more money. So they're doing exactly what Peter said they would do. They would curse their children with debt. That's how you curse somebody. You put them in debt. And they they curse their children by borrowing against the future of their children. So their children are going to have to pay off the loans that they're borrowing today. And you see these ridiculous debates in Congress and Senate. Nobody's addressing that. Rarely. And certainly most people don't even know. But that isn't really the topic of our conversation today. But these are all related. Once you understand, Moses was teaching you a system, which when we go through, we've already gone through Exodus with our audios, but I'm, I'm going to hopefully start some videos uh, because now Jordan Peterson's Exodus is online and you can go through that and see what they say. But we're going to show you what they missed and that's what we're going to show you what Sam Harris missed when he said, Goat means a goat. But, and a turtle dove means a turtle dove. Except a turtle dove goddess. What's a turtle dove goddess? Then in our article on turtle dove goddess, we talk about a she goat because it comes up. They, there's a, there's offering. She goat, ram, bullocks. And they have particular Hebrew words that they translate into these different things. So, and you can read that in Genesis 15.9. You know, where they talk about a she-goat, which is Ayan Zayan, the Hebrew letters. And uh, and it, it can sometimes have a double uh, letter at the end. But there are other words that are spelled exactly the same. Because the same word given a different Strong's number, but it's the same word, same letters. It means the word strong. That's what she-goat means. It means strong. So are they saying sacrifice some of your strength? I mean, just just the idea of a turtle dove. There's several words that can be translated into dove, but one of them is actually translated a piece of your estate. So were you supposed to sacrifice a turtle dove? I mean, theoretically, every time a woman had her period, she was supposed to sacrifice a turtle dove. And that supposedly you're supposed to go and slit the throat of this turtle dove and burn up the whole thing on a pile of fire. But if these altars were social safety nets and the Levites were the shepherds of the people, like Abel was a shepherd tending the flocks, making sure that he they were leading them to uh, along still waters so that they could lie down in green pastures and so that they would be honored or fattened. Same word for honor, same word for fattened. And when they were given their sacrifices, which wasn't necessarily a bird, but a piece of their estate, because that's what that word actually means. And they weren't really given a goat all the time. Although I'm sure many times they were given a goat. But they were also given lands in common to run these goats and sheep on. So they 
there were some Levites who were actually shepherds tending to flocks, or they might have uh, assistants who would help them do that, who were employed as domestic servants of the Levites. And we will talk about them as we go through Ezra. So I'm giving you a heads up. They are the Nethanim, who worked for the Levites, just like the servant of Abraham was sent to where Leban lived and met Rebekah and chose her to be the wife of Isaac. He was just a servant. This is a serious responsibility. But like I said, when you were a servant of Abraham, you were better off than being a free man in Egypt. You'd be better taken care of because... Abraham was operating according to the social bonds of righteousness, which, of course, is what we were told to seek. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not the self-righteousness of Sumer or Nimrod or Babylon or even FDR. Now, I'm not saying those systems are bad. I'm just saying what they are. And they can lead to bad things. Because those systems are based on force. If you want to be a free people, living in a free society, you have to create a system based on free will offerings. If you base your social safety net on forced offerings, you're actually going to be, and you already are, back in the bondage of Egypt. Which is another thing that I am just shocked. I listened to one of their first episodes Jordan Peterson and all these scholars, they're talking about Corvey systems of statutory bondage and they don't realize that they're in one now. I mean, they bring it up, but they just skirt around it like they don't want to actually identify with that. But that's exactly where they're at. That's where you're at. And people don't want to look at it. They don't want to have eyes to see. They don't want to have ears to hear. We just expanded our page on I'm explaining why there are so many warnings in the Bible. I found dozens more. I didn't put them all in. That God will not hear you in that day. Uh, You go cry unto the kings which you have chosen. That's at one place in the Bible. Another place they say go and cry unto the gods which you have chosen. Those gods are just the men who rule over your system of social welfare and decide, oh, no more social security. Oh, we're going to decrease the benefits. They don't have to decrease the benefits. What they're doing is they decrease the COLAs, the cost of living index. You know, they they don't count things like, you know, non-essentials like food and gasoline (laughs) and figuring the COLAs. So, you, you may get the same amount or it may even get a little bit more, but the cost of living will go up far beyond what what you can afford. An elderly person collecting Social Security, it's not going to be enough. Uh, people on welfare, not going to be enough. And of course, then you will have mostly not peaceful riots in the streets. But everybody, it'll be every man for himself. And, of course, in that process, there will be a separation of the goats and the sheep. So, anyway, going back to let's talking more about goats and sheep, like I said in Genesis 15, 9, 
It says a she-goat of three years old is a symbol of something more than a female goat. We find it is spelled, you know, with just basically two letters, which is identical to numerous Hebrew words uh, with different Strong's numbers that uh, can mean actually strong or your strength or your resources, your life. Because that's your strength is in your life, and that that you're supposed to sacrifice some of your life, some of your strength for others, not just burn it up on a pile of stu- dead stones. Like I said, the same word for a, pi- a pile of stones is a gathering of men, and we we use those same metaphors in our own language. We said that guy there's as solid as solid as a rock. We don't mean he's actually a rock. It's a metaphor. This is what is all over the biblical text. And you don't have to retranslate it. You just have to know that these words mean the same. And if you're reading it in Hebrew, you would say, well, that's the same letters. Same word for kidneys. Same word for reins of control. Same word for livers. The same word for honor or fatten. Uh, naked means without authority. Going up by steps is a hierarchy of authority of one man over the other. Hewing stones of the altar is regulating those individuals who form that altar. Getting the leaven out is getting the cruelty out of your system of social welfare. It's not about getting the yeast out of your house. You can't get all the yeast out of your house anyway. It's in the air. But you'll find people, you know, boiling a, a kid in its mother's milk. That's, you know, seething, they use the word in the King James. Doesn't mean anything. So we have articles that explain that, show you what it actually means. You know, and that verse shows up three times. And and, uh, and if you go to our page on GOAT, <laughs> you'll see a link to that. I'm, that's what I'm doing. We have an article on uh, goats and sheep. Uh, we have an article on goat now. We have an go- article on milk and meat, which is about seething a goat in its mother's milk. Doesn't mean anything like that. We have an article on red heifer. Doesn't have anything to do with a red cow. It only is mentioned like one time in the Bible. And and now people are, you know, out there looking for the perfect red heifer so they can kill it and burn it up on a pile of stones and take the ashes. But they've taken all these things literally. And this is why the Essenes were so different than the Pharisees. Pharisees wanted to kill Christ. Many, many of the Essenes became the early Christians because they were already doing what Christ was saying. Many of them. So, in creating these Articles, you'll get a better idea, but, you know, I actually put a link in there to some of these other articles that we have supporting articles on leaven. If you don't, if you still want to think that leaven is just yeast, you know, it actually means cruelty and oppression, then you're going to miss it. You're going to miss what they're saying in there. So the idea of goats and sheep, separating the goats and sheep, well, I mean, like how many goats and sheep do you have in your congregations or in your churches? Who are the goats? Who are the sheep? What's the difference? And, you know, 
like I, I've, I've, those people know a lot about my background in life. My father was an attorney. My grandfather was a doctor. Uh, I'm, I'm a sheep herder, but I used to raise goats. But I have separated the goats now from the sheep. Although there's some goats running wild around our place on the desert. I've seen them right across the fence line. The people who own them can't keep them in their fences, which is part of the problem with goats. <laughs> I always told somebody, I know a guy who was a spiritual advisor, believe it or not. He was a lot of other things, but he he was actually making money advising people on spiritual growth. Well, he had goats uh, until the day he just freaked out and shot them all. <laughs> this was... So be careful who you go to as a spiritual advisor. He's not in the business anymore, so you're safe. But uh, the the reality is is that uh, goats, their good points are their bad points. And I said their good point is they can go almost anywhere and eat almost anything. Their bad point is they will go almost anywhere and eat almost anything. And, of course, that guy who freaked out in a fit of rage shot all of his goats all the females, all the babies, everything, just shot them all with a rifle. They had gotten into his haystack for the last time. Instead of taking the blame for not making fences good enough to keep the goats out of his haystack, he took it out on the goats. This is the story of mankind. We have created a system in this world that makes the people weak, brings the people into bondage, makes them merchandise. It's based on coveting your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority. Absolutely contrary to what Christ said to do. We call it social security in the United States. We call it social insurance in other countries. It's all over the world. It's everywhere. It's socialism, which is just the the young suckling of communism that has already killed millions upon millions of people and will soon kill billions of people. And has destroyed, degenerated the social bonds of a free society. And unless you address this issue, it doesn't matter whether you gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, something that Jordan Peterson wants to do. But I don't hear him addressing the problem of legal charity. As a matter of fact, I see him cozying up to a lot of groups, like the Logan Group, which is just an offshoot of the World Economic Forum, and people like Noah Harari, who think they are gods, want to genetically alter everybody. I mean, this is not a conspiracy theory. He says this right out. You can you can listen to him on video explaining this. And getting applause at the World Economic Forum. And they also want to decrease the world's population. And, and the true story behind them, now we would get into a conspiracy theory, but we don't need that. Because they're saying it right out loud. What I'm saying out loud, unless you learn what Moses was teaching, what Christ was teaching, what all the prophets were telling us about these things, and and the only way you're going to catch it, you know, to let go and set down the baggage of the ideas that you've already accepted is that you realize that a goat is not always a goat. And a sheep, it isn't always got wool (laughs) you know Jesus says my sheep hear my voice talks about a good shepherd they're metaphors we don't have any problem with that 
We know he's not really talking about sheep. And neither are, neither was Moses. He wasn't talking about piles of stone where you burn. He was talking about a social welfare system based on faith, hope, and charity, which is what the early church was doing and what the early church called pure religion. It was, religion was how you took care of the needy of society, which is why the turtle goddess, turtle dove goddess, was the head of the social welfare. She also was in charge of weights and measures because she was in charge of redistribution of wealth. You can go read our article on Sumer, go read our article on Turtle Dove, and, and you, we just go through it step, step by step. But in Leviticus 7.23, it says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Ye shall eat no manner of fat, of ox, or of sheep, or of goat. Why? We'll have to talk about that when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, anyway, I'm, I'm trying to tie all these ideas together, and there's a lot of different words here, and this overthrows a lot of the religious ideas that people have, and... And a lot of people aren't going to like it. They're go- they they have their comfortable churches, and, and Jeremiah talks about people, you know, who gather in their assemblies and sing their songs, but they're still workers of iniquity. Isaiah talks about the same thing. And when we're going through Ezra, we're going to try to, you know, touch on all these different quotes that you never hear about, but. You know, I've already given you the quote where Jesus says you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other but call themselves benefactors. It shall not be that way with you. And yet, that is that way with 90% of the denominations of modern Christianity. They all go to men who exercise authority one over the other to get their daily bread, their daily benefits. And I don't begrudge you that. I'm not telling you you can't go collect your Social Security. If most a lot of old people stop collecting their Social Security right now, uh, they would be in trouble. I mean, serious, like starving to death, trouble, kicked out of the uh, of their homes. But what I'm saying is what Christ said at the very beginning of the gospel: "Is seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you." And the way to do that, Christ also commanded his ministers to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands so that they could start to share. And, of course, as soon as they did that, with thousands of people there, 5,000 men and their family, what is that, 20,000, 30,000 people? You know, just a 100 years ago, the average woman, the average wife and mother, they're in the course of her reproductive life had seven children. The average. So if you had 5,000 men and their families (laughs) we're talking minimum 20,000 people and they don't have enough food. And the apostles don't have the wagons to go to town and buy it much less probably the money to go and buy it and then 
how long is it going to take to go to town to get it? And what town are you going to to get enough bread and fish for 20,000 people? And these people just wandered out there knowing there was no 7-Eleven nearby. There was no Walmart. There was no Wilco. There was no um, Costco to go down and get any food. They're just out in the wilderness and they just wandered out there with nothing, right? That's what we're supposed to believe according to the scenario that we are told about that miraculous event. What actually was happening then? We know the color of the grass. We know probably the season that the grass would be that color. We know that there were annual gatherings where people get together and as this nation, we know that the average synagogue was ten families at that time. We got all kinds of historical records that the average congregation of Jews who met in synagogues, whether that synagogue was registered with the Temple of Herod or not, was ten families. That's the way they organized. Because they were still organizing in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Now, the idea of organizing in the tens, hundreds, and thousands predates Moses. It did not was not invented by Moses. We actually have ancient documents now that refer to Nimrod organizing the people in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because they didn't have cell phones. They had to have a way of communicating, so you had these groups of ten families. But we also know that Nimrod system was like the system of the turtle dove goddess of Sumer. It was forced offerings, which is what they had in Sodom. He actually owned the people. They were actually registered in Sodom. That's why he comes to Abraham and says, give me the people. Well, Abraham isn't turning the people into slaves for Abraham. He's the man who walked by faith. And the perfect law of liberty. But he wasn't going to turn them over. I mean, technically, they were his spoils. But he didn't want them. He let the other people take their share of the wealth that they rescued. They got a share of it. But then the rest of it could go back with the people if they wanted to go back to Sodom. And evidently, they did go back to Sodom. A lot of them. I can't imagine that some of them didn't say... You know, I'm going to stick with Abraham. He's got a good thing going here. I'm going to not go to the altars of Sodom. I'm going to go to the altars of Abraham. So there was a transition period. And those who went back to Sodom, we know what happened to Sodom. And probably similar things happened to Gomer. We know that such things happened to Rome. Because Rome went that way too. That's not the way of Christ. The way of Christ is you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You start taking care of one another through charity, through free will offerings. And you don't just give free will offerings when something bad happens. You give first fruits. Whenever you produce something, you give a share of that. You get to choose. Whatever you choose, we consider that's paid in full. But you get to choose. You get to to choose what you give and to whom you give it. And that should be focused on the ten that you gather with. 
But that congregation, it's a free assembly. It's not a corporation. It's, 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 and there's legal reasons why that is, but there are reasons why that is explained in the Bible. And we've published books free online that explain this well enough that you can start to get it. But ultimately, what you have to get is the Holy Spirit. The Bible is divinely inspired Word of God. I can say that much. All the translations aren't. <laughs> but the original authors, I believe, were almost all, if not all, as best I can tell. I will err on the side that they all were divinely inspired. But I will also tell you that everybody who reads the Bible is not divinely inspired. I will also say that almost everybody in the world at one point or another in your life has been divinely inspired. You have received revelation. Now to what degree? I don't know. How many times did you get divinely inspired and not listen to that divine inspiration? Probably far too many times. So what I'm talking about, I'm not using this as proof to guide your mind to think like I think. I want you to open your mind to the Holy Spirit so that you can think like God thinks. Those 5,000 men and their families, what they did when they sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands is those that had shared with those that did not have enough. And Jesus would not eat until the sharing started. And there was a surplus of sharing that filled the the coffers of or you know the the storehouse or was probably one the storehouse, but it was plenty of surplus left over for the ministers of Christ, which wasn't just twelve apostles, it was probably at that gathering there was at least the seventy that he had already picked and their families. Aquila and Priscilla has always been considered part of that original 70. Certainly a part of the 120 in the upper room. Plus their families. Because that's the way they numbered them. 5,000 men and their families. They didn't say 5,000 people. They said 5,000 men and their families. So when they said 120 in the upper room, it was probably 120 men and their families. When he picked 70... It was probably 70 men and their families. And they, they played a particular role. I mean, Moses picked 70, Jesus picked 70. Moses was teaching people a form of government that not only set men free, but kept them free and healthy and well off. With no inheritance tax. No income tax. No property tax. A whole system. They could defeat all comers as long as they didn't stray from the plan. Which was to create a social welfare system based on living altars, lively stones, Levite men who gather together also in tens, hundreds, and thousands, forming altars throughout the entire nation where contributions flowed to these men of charity, these men of service, these bureaucrats of service in a hierarchy of service that did not exercise authority one over the other. 
That's what the Christians were doing. That's what the Corbin of Christ was all about. We have an article, Corbin of Christ. That's what the Bible is telling you how to do. It's not what the modern Christian church is telling you how to do. It's not what those 40,000 denominations are telling you how to do. But we were told that many would come in his name, but were workers of iniquity. If you love the light, you will begin to see this. If you are pursuing, seeking, striving for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you will begin to do this. And that sharing by 5,000 men and their families, when they sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, commanded by Christ, where there was now enough bread and fishes for everybody, doesn't make as good a movie scene as Hollywood would like you to see. But it's maybe more of a miracle than just bread and fishes appearing out of nowhere. But it is part of the false teachings of the modern church. Now, I believe that God could produce that bread out of thin air. Or, or I don't know, out of thin air. But, I mean, that's a that's an expression again. <laughs> uh, he doesn't, God doesn't need thin air even to produce the bread. <laughs> but that's not the way he works. The way he works is he's trying to teach you how to love one another. How to lay down your strength, your she-goat. Because that's what she-goat means. Same word for she-goat. Anzan. Or Anzanzan. Whenever you see that double letter, I have a whole article on double letters. Where all of a sudden they, they, they put a double letter where there's normally a single. It means in spirit and truth. It is the double top of faith. In spirit and truth. So, hearing what I'm saying, having the ears to hear what I'm saying, is is a good beginning. But then doing what I'm saying, and I'm not telling you what to do, I'm just telling you what Moses said to do and what Christ said to do. And trying to clear up some of the delusion. Because there's all kinds of Jews and now Messianic Jews trying to get all the yeast out of their house. But they've still got cruelty and oppression systems to obtain their daily bread. Men who exercise authority to obtain their daily bread. So they haven't got all the leaven out of their house. They got all the yeast out of their house, but the same word for leaven is something else. And so... The Israelites were supposed to also sow the breeches to cover the nakedness of the Levites. But they weren't naked. They had clothes on. I said, well, you, you could see up their clothes when they went up by steps. They're out in the desert. There's no steps. Where are these steps at? What are you talking about? Steps. It's metaphors. They were naked. They were without authority. That's what it means. Sometimes. It can also mean that you're naked, naked. But usually, you know, if you if you see the person, you say, well, he's naked. Well, no, he's got clothes on. Well, I don't mean naked that way. I mean naked in authority. He doesn't have any authority. See, a minister of God's church, Ecclesia, has no authority over your family. It's a free assembly. 
So, but he's collecting stuff from you to redistribute that wealth. And of course, you, you make sure he does that. That's your responsibility. Kingdom of God is about responsibility. But you can, you can watch him. If you send it to the Red Cross, you don't know where that money goes. I can tell you that some of the money you send to the Red Cross go to pay the $600,000 a year salary of the CEO of the Red Cross. He gets $600,000 for his job. I don't know how much the guys below get, but I'll bet you the guy handing out water in Zimbabwe at the Red Cross or in whatever country you're in, He's not getting six hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> but uh, but these are systems of social welfare that puts the responsibility down in the micro, which is a a, a term I'm going to use many times coming up. In so I'm getting you familiar with it. The kingdom of God is in the micro because the kingdom of God is in your heart and in your mind. It's God writing upon your heart and upon your mind as to what to give and to whom to give. And who to sit down with and who not to sit down with. And I, I like I warn people all the time, don't look for a, an assembly of saints. Just look for somebody closest to you you can sit down with. <laughs> If you're going to look for an assembly of saints, they probably won't let you in. <laughs> so anyway, uh, before we get to the break, I want to say that we're going to have festivals out here. God has provided us with some land that we can have festivals on right now until they get really big. I don't know who's coming, but the first weekend of September, we'll be gathering here. It's usually when we have what we call the Burning Bush Festival. Which isn't a gigantic festive event or anything. We're not going to have 5,000 men and their families here. We're not quite ready for that. But we've had people come from all over the world. And I, I've heard yesterday that we're going to have more people coming. But if you're on the network, especially if you're in the living network, you tell your ministers, if you're on the network, the email network, which you can go to preparingyou.com or org, click on the network links. Go there and find the network in your state, your country, uh, wherever, and join with an email. You can get go get an email anywhere, a free email, and join with it. If you don't want to use your personal email, get on that, and you'll get notices. And you can say whether or not you want to come to Oregon to the Bernie Bush Festival. So let us know how many people are coming, because we, we do a lot of the preparing. It's a camping event. Uh, there's a trailer park nearby. You probably, it's probably already full. But, uh, but I know the people who run it. If an opening comes, they can put you there. And if you just need parking, we can find it. They have a dump site there. Uh, so if you come in a trailer, the motel is kind of filling up, but there's a town south of us called Paisley. They may have rooms there. And, uh, we can maybe put people up. Certainly, but you should come. It's a camping event, just like the Feast of Tabernacle. It's not just like that because of the Feast of Tabernacle. Everybody brought their own food. <laughs> and everybody prepared their own food. Now, we we can start doing that if the numbers start getting up. And we have a, a spring event as well, but just join the network to find out more about that. 
But we'd like to have meetings on a regular basis. We'd like to have people cycling through to learn a lot of this stuff and find out. But anyway, like I was saying, I was talking about goats. And then we also have our article on milk and meat, which is about seething a goat and its milk. And you can go read that. I think I have audios already up on that. And then we have an article on goats and sheep. And like I said, that in Leviticus 7.23, it speaks of the children of Israel saying, Ye shall eat no manner of fat of ox or of sheep or of goat. So what do they mean? You have to cut all the fat off. Well, most of the fat in a beef or sheep is laced inside the meat. Uh, there's not as much fat in most goats, although the goats I saw running around on the desert the other day, they are mostly meat goats. It's kind of a odd knob little herd <laughs> of people who are taking care of their, these few goats that are just breeding. There is a buck with them. So I'm thinking someday I may have to eat those goats. <laughs> Cause I, no, they're, they're just turning into wild, wild goats. But anyway, in our article on sophistry, which is what we're dealing with when people take the word breaches and naked and steps and altars and kidney and liver and make them mean all these different things. Well, some of them mean all these different things. That, that was another thing that came up in the first episode with that they're, he says they beginning to think that there's an intentional ambiguity in the writing of Exodus. A little clearer in Deuteronomy, but it had this intentional ambiguity where he didn't quite tell you. Well, the reality is it was written so it could be misinterpreted because, as I was saying, it's not enough that the Bible is inspired. The authors of the Bible were inspired. But the readers of the Bible also have to be inspired. And of course, of course, that is the covenant. It's talked about in the Old Testament and the New Testament, where God will write upon your hearts and upon your minds. So if this idea of creating a social welfare system based on free assemblies, free will offerings, mutual love for one another, in an organized fashion, where you have to organize yourselves, we're talking about the kingdom of God in the micro. Because each one of you has to become individually responsible for each one of you and then for your family and then for a free assembly of families and a free assembly of assemblies of families. But it starts in the micro. All the power is in the micro. No power goes up steps or up to a hierarchy of authority. All the power remains in the micro. This is something that Dennis Prager doesn't get. And he said it in front of the entire panel. And he actually said, no, the government's in the macro, but these other little things are in the micro. No, in the kingdom of God, everything is in the micro. But they come together freely because the kingdom of God is a free society. Those guys can't see I hope they will I can't I don't know I don't have power to make them see that the kingdom of God is a system that sets men free and in order to do that men have to take back their responsibility in the micro 
and then gather together in free assemblies. They cannot have a system of legal charity, forced contributions by men who exercise authority one over the other. You can't do that and say to me, where I will believe you, that you're a follower of Christ. Because you're not doing what he said. You're actually engaging in a system of covetous practices where you force your neighbor through the men who exercise authority, who bite, they have the teeth, they bite your neighbor so that they can give you food. This is the story of Rome. symbol of Rome is two babies sucking on a wolf who's making milk for them. That, you know, Romulus and Remus statue. And they're sucking on a she-wolf. That's the symbolism. The wolf made that milk by eating other flesh. (laughs) Get the full symbolism? That's not the kingdom of God. That's not the way the kingdom of God works. And if you want to seek the kingdom of God, you have to do that. In the article on sophistry, I write the phrase of the bullock is from the Hebrew word shor. Shin, Bav, Resh, which is given in the strongest number of 07 or 7794 in the Hebrew. It is said to be from this strong word, Shor, which is numbered also 7788, but consists of the same three letters, Shin, Bav, Resh. It's given different numbers, but it's actually the same letters. And originally, the now, you, there are jots and tittles now in the original alphabet, and sometimes I include them in there. But uh, sometimes the, they're the same, but the jots and tittles were all added hundreds of years after the original inspired authors. So, is your faith in the inspired authors or your faith in the other people who added to what the inspired authors? I'm just looking at the original letters, and each letter has a meaning. So Shin, Vav, Resh, each of those letters have a meaning and they come together, usually three letters, although many words they add extra letters to and occasionally they'll take a letter away, sometimes they'll double a letter. All has a significance. And and you could go through and try to learn everything, but you'd have to be a really a genius to figure out where everything goes. But if you have the Holy Spirit, it will begin to come into place. Now how do you know that the Spirit is guiding you is the Holy Spirit? Was it leading you towards a society that lives by faith, hope, and charity or a society that bites one another, forces the contributions of the people, returns everybody to the bondage of Egypt where they don't get to keep all their labor, they don't, their, their widows and orphans will be robbed, guaranteed, written down in statute and code like the Hammurabi codes that when you die, I can guarantee they will rob your widow and your, and the orphans of your family. We'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom. Okay, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're looking at goats here. And so we're going to separate the goats and we're going to separate the lie from the truth. And one of the ways to do that is to tell you the truth over and over again (laughs) until it sinks in. And so... Some of the things that I'm talking about now will show up in Ezra. One of the things is this, like this word that supposedly 
in, in the quote that I referred to that we also talk about in the article Sophistry, which you can get at Preparing You. And I've I've been working on that article because originally when I wrote it in, I wrote in with certain Hebrew texts. And then when we went to Preparing You, the Hebrew text didn't show up. So it showed, you know, regular letters in its place because the software didn't show that original. So I had to change the font so that you could still see the Hebrew. And that's what I've been doing going through. And when I do, I, I see other things that I've learned since I originally wrote the article. So I'm enhancing that and trying to put it... And rereading it just in during this program on every break, I've changed the article on goat slightly, uh, fixing little things, putting in little you know spaces. But what I'm doing is quoting some of these other articles, like the article on sophistry, which we were just looking at. And uh, in fact, it, it, we talk about these same three letters in the Hebrew, uh, Shin Vav Resh. Uh, that have all these other s- Strong's numbers, 7786, 7794, actually from 7786 all the way to 7794 are all spelled the s- same exact way. <laughs> all those different words. And what are they translated? Now, of course, that 7794 is translated, all, uh, most of the time it's translated ox. You know, about 62 times it's translated ox. 12 times it's translated bullocks. Not a big difference. An ox is not a bull and wouldn't be called a bullocks. But they only have the one word. And so I'm not saying, you know, a, a ox is a castrated bull. But a bullock is generally not castrated. But the same word is also translated cow twice. And just bull uh, once, but it's actually translated wall. Now, I've actually been face-to-face with a bull, as a matter of fact, inches away. <laughs> and uh, most of them have been pretty domesticated. I've, I've had to jump a few fences now and then. And uh, I know people who had, didn't know what they were doing around such animals and got into a lot of trouble. But, uh, yes, yeah, so a bull can be like a wall. So one place they decide to translate this word bull in the wall and give it the same Strong's number of 7794. But the problem is, is that if you go to the word 7790 shower, it's said to mean enemy. Well, in the context, maybe a bull, if he's on the prod, he, you might call him an enemy or you might call him an enemy, you know, equate him with a bull. So that's not too far off. But uh, if we give it other Strong's numbers, like 7792, and of course the reason they give them these different numbers is sometimes because of these jots and tittles, but not always. I'm not sure why Strong's decided to do that. But maybe that the, the word, well, sometimes it's spelled the same and it's a noun, and sometimes it's spelled the same and it's a verb. And you know that because they will add letters that, because the Akkadian language, which is related somewhat to the Hebrew language, would add extra letters because of the appearance of a word and its syntax in a sentence. But you could use different letters to produce the same syntax. And so I'm suggesting, since every single letter had a different meaning, and the language was probably invented out of other languages and by... It appears that Joseph had a lot to do with the formulation of the language, and Joseph was a genius and also an inspired individual. 
who was actually listening to God, that we can see that uh, there was method in the way in which he put this language together. But, like I was saying, yeah, the word can be given another number and actually translated wall. It can also be translated look and observe. It can be translated lay, wait, like you're hiding and laying wait, or regard, or perceive. But it, it goes on even from there. Because with other numbers, like 7787, it can, it can mean cut. Same word that was ox before is now cut. Uh, and uh, also uh, to to be or act as a prince, to rule, to contend, have power, prevail over, to reign. Why all these different ways the same letters are translated? Wouldn't that cause confusion? Well, not if you're listening to the Holy Spirit. And there is the language, like I, like. Dennis Prager and Jordan Peterson and these other scholars were saying that they believed that there was a certain ambiguity written into the language. And again, we'll explain this in other uh, places that if if it was so direct, without any symbolism, without any allegory, and the Bible says there's allegories in there, and without any metaphors, without any parables, Christ was fond of using parables. If he was just direct and blunt, nobody would hear it. Nobody would want to hear it, and the book would have been burned entirely. But occasionally, you will find direct statements. You know, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Moses said it, Jesus said it. Is it loving your neighbor to send men to your neighbor's house to rob his widows and orphans so that you can have free stuff? Because that's the law in America today. Even if you put your property in a Irrevocable trust. As of March of 2023, they will now come in all 50 states of the United States, I'm sure they're already doing it in Australia, and rob the widows and orphans. Because that is the table, the system of social welfare, the social safety net that you and your Sanhedrin has set up. It's not a Sanhedrin uh, 70. I don't know how many people are in Congress now. Uh, there's a hundred in the Senate, but that's your Sanhedrin. Not to say that the original Sanhedrin had any legislative power. It didn't. But subsequent Sanhedrins did. The Sanhedrin of the Pharisees could actually execute people, or, well, with the permission of Rome. But they invited Rome in, too. <laughs> so, anyway, so the same letters. Shin, Bob, Resh. And you can look at the meaning. We have that at preparing you. There's just loads of things that you can study. But anyway, we're talking about goats. So then I added a little, because I have another article on scapegoats, which is mentioned just, you know, like once in the Bible, one area in the Bible, they talk about scapegoats. But we, it's become a modern term, scapegoats. But what does it actually mean? Well, in the article we have on scapegoat, which we may go into more on the afternoon program, but... I say, not only in the Bible full of allegories and metaphors, the Hebrew language is full of symbolism because every letter of every word has a meaning. The word goat is composed, again, of the Ian Zayn. But 
those letters are not always translated into goat, which we just went over. Like I said, it's translated strong. Sometimes it's translated fierce. Sometimes it's translated mighty. Sometimes it's translated power. Sometimes it's translated greed. It can be, um, there's actually uh, impudent. It can be trans, if you add an, zian, 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 and where you get that double letter, which I'm saying that normally means in spirit and truth. Not always, but I think it's generally, uh, when you see that, it's kind of a red flag that they're talking about whatever they're talking about being strong, for instance, you need to be strong in spirit and truth. That means not just in, in your heart, but actually in your physical actions. You need to be strong. Like uh, Ecclesiastes says, with your whole might, doing things with your whole might. You know, somebody was talking about that phrase, love God with your whole heart, mind, and soul. That would, that would include in spirit and truth. But that same word, anzanzan, is also translated impudent. It's translated strong and it's translated impudent. So what's the deal with that? It's actually also uh, translated prevail, uh, strengthen six times, uh, hardeneth. Now, that'd be interesting. Where is that? Hardeneth. Does that have to do with the hardening the heart of the Pharaoh? <laughs> what's he calling the Pharaoh a goat? No, they couldn't translate a goat. But that's what a goat is. A goat is stubborn. Like I was telling you the story of the the spiritual advisor who shot all of his goats off of his haystack. I mean, I remember when he was telling me. He's just telling me right out like it was like it was just like uh, I asked him how his goats were doing because I knew he was raising goats. We had already got out of the goat business by then. And he says, well, I shot them all. <laughs> he just says so casually. I thought, oh, what? Yeah, I came home and it was the fifth time they got into the haystack and they were walking up on the haystack and everything. So I just got out my rifle and shot them all. So that was the end of his whole herd. I don't know how many he had in his herd. I think it was seven to ten goats. And I thought, wow. And he was always such a soft-spoken guy. <laughs> and I thought, like, man, that guy's tripping out. But... uh yeah, I can tell you lots of story. Nice guy, most of the time. Just don't get up on his haystack when he loses his temper. But, you know, there's messages in all this. But the, uh, this Zayn, it means service and valor. It can mean cut and bread. It can be war and nourish. Same word. Same letter. Can have all these meaning. Uh, service and, and valor, they seem pretty much the same. But cut and bread, how are those associated? Well, you cut bread. When you rightly divide the bread from house to house, Zayin is a concept that's involved, which would be a service and a valuable valor service, which would nourish the people and war against hunger. It actually is related to a weapon. And it is related to, it says cut, to cut off manacles, to cut off the chains, to set men free. 
So Ayan, Zayan, Zayan is when your strength goes to set other men free. So if we came together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, 144,000, 144 million, whatever, all across the world, we could set people free from the system that they just told us in the last week is going to fail at least by 2033. Totally fail. It's already failing. The cost of living increase for Social Security is not keeping up with the actual cost of living because they changed the way in which they figure that. They don't figure in food. <laughs> they don't figure in gas, I think it is. I don't know. I don't. I didn't look that up, but somebody told me that, so it may not be true, but that is likely to be true. But and, that letter means divine providence. So if you want divine providence, I mean, the wrath of God is divine providence. Like I said, there is no difference between the rewards of God and the punishment of God, except the way in which you receive them. Your attitude. Because the God doesn't, he doesn't want to be mean to you. But he's a good parent. He doesn't let it slide. Not forever. He will not contend with you forever. If you're not going to do what Christ said, if, you, if you're not going to do what God said from the beginning, which is to love thy neighbor as thyself, to gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, to take care of the needy of society in free will offerings, which is just spelling out loving thy neighbor as thyself, and start attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith, because law requires justice, mercy, and faith. And faith has to do with faith in that divine inspirer, that unmoved mover, that should move your hearts. God doesn't change, but God will change your heart. And if you're starting to see how important it is that we come together and take care of one another, then Aeon, Zayan, Zayan, means something. The divine providence, the eye or well of five states of either kindness or severity. But kindness is severe. I, I, I posted a story on Facebook, just something that came in and I shared it. And it's the story of Helen Keller's teacher. And Helen Keller's uh, t- teacher, she, she was put in an insane asylum when she was a small girl. Her mother had had syphilis. She was blinded by that syphilis. She, I think she was not, didn't have syphilis anymore, but she had been blinded by it. And she was just an absolute terror. They had to put her in a cage and everything when she was a little girl. And a cleaning woman who worked at the hospital, you know, cleaning up the messes and everything, felt sorry for the girl. She was a raving uh, savage. She felt sorry for her, and so she supposedly baked her some brownies and went to the deal and set them down next to the cage where she could get them and said, you can eat them if you want or not. But anyway, she befriended her by doing this, and so she was able to help her, and then that's when they discovered that she wasn't just crazy, she was blind. And so they taught her sign language, and she learned and everything, and then eventually she was grew up and was hired to teach Helen Keller. And when Helen Keller received the Nobel Prize, she said that this was due mostly to 
the woman that had taught her, and for some reason I forget her name, I'm bad at names, forgive me, but um, uh, that woman was with her when she received the Nobel Prize, and she told Helen Keller it wasn't me. It was the cleaning lady at the insane asylum. What, and there was a name to her. So if you're on my Facebook page, you can probably go back and find the article. But it was interesting. But I, I posted that, shared it, and said kindness is eternal. Because it passes on from generation to generation. But don't love the darkness. Love the light. And so what is the kingdom of God? It's where we start exercising kindness instead of covetousness. Where we start exercising sacrifice, laying down our life daily for our fellow man. That will open the doors of inspiration to your heart and your mind. That will be the goat <laughs> in your hearts. The ands, ands, and. Where you begin to choose yourself with all your heart and all your mind to become a part of a system that hopefully will learn to rightly divide the bread from house to house. Now this is going to be done well or could be done badly, which is why the same word that can be translated goat or strength failing can also be jealousy and envious. That they can be translated into those terms. Same word. What's going to be the difference? Now, if we went through the actual Hebrew text, I'll lay you odds you'll find A and Z and Tov or Tov Mem. You know, I, I can't remember any spots right offhand, but then I couldn't remember Helen Keller's teacher's name either. <laughs> but, uh, uh, the, the truth is, is all these words have meaning. And they're trying to tell you how to be a, a part of what Christ was trying to teach us. I go on to say, besides idioms, metaphors, and, and sophistry, the use of uh, allegories and cultural shifts over time to say nothing of hundreds of different sects exercising influence over the thinking and knowledge of the people uh, took their toll on the message of the Bible over the years. Many factions, religious groups, uh, denominations like the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Essenes, and Zealots, which we talked about at the beginning of the program, all had divergent views of the Scripture. The Essenes were so different from the Pharisees and certainly different than the Sadducees. And they also... The, the Zealots... Actually, some of the zealots, like the zealots on the, at Masada, who is a tragic thing that all those people died at Masada, but they were zealots. And, but the reality was, is that according to most of the traditions, they had just attacked a village called Jedi at the wells of Jedi, the springs of Je Jedi, which is probably where you get the word Jedi Knights, uh, is from that same word uh, that names that village. But it was a village of about 700 people and they were massacred, assumedly, by some of those same zealots who 
retreated to Masada. Because those zealots hated those uh, Essenes that were at Jedi. And there's good reason to believe that most of those Essenes at Jedi were organized according to the way of the early church in Christianity. So they may have been a Christian community. But they still would call themselves Jews. Most of all the Christian, early Christians were Jews until we get to the Romans. But what they were all doing and all their ministers, they were organizing in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. We know this through history. We know this because Christ commanded it. We know this is because it was so common amongst all the city-states. It was, it was the most practical way of providing a system of social welfare where you knew who was getting what and you weren't wasting stuff by giving too much to one person. We've talked about that. And the, the Romans were doing the same thing and all the uh, scenes and, the, and those who became, Jews who became Christians were doing the same thing, but they had no forced taxes amongst their system of social welfare. They were free assemblies, using the Corbin of Christ that was making the word of God to effect rather than the Corbin of the Pharisees making the God to none effect. And that shift within society was the separation of the goats and the sheep. So, while I, I, I mention all those things in this idea of the scapegoat, what is the scapegoat? Is the true wisdom of the Bible hidden in the allegory so that the reader must be equally inspired in order to be awakened with eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of the gospel of the kingdom of God? And once you begin to hear that truth, you need to act upon it because it's not those who say, not those who hear, but those who do the will of the Father. So you need to be doers of the word. That's what Christ says. Don't get mad at me. Because Christ says that. So what is this scapegoat? Well, we're not going to have enough time to go through it all, but to give you an idea. You know, like I told you, I just saw, just a couple of days ago, I haven't seen these guys in years. But they were out running around. I was going to call the owner and say, your goats are out. But I have a feeling they've been out on a regular basis. But now they're close to the church property. And I saw them there. They were hanging on the road. And we drove down there. And they they just took off running like they had no interest in human beings. (laughs) And they started running across the desert. Well, now we're going to talk about scapegoats. Well, what was a scapegoat? You took this goat. And you chased it out into the wilderness. Everybody in the village was a part of chasing this goat out in the wilderness. Well, I can tell you, having chased goats to catch them and to chase them away, you're going to do a lot of running. (laughs) Goats go anywhere (laughs) and do whatever they darn well please. So you chase them out. That is almost impossible to chase a goat away from the oasis at Jedi. Away from the water, away from the feed. They are not going to go. You go chase them and chase them. And you will need the whole village. 
And they will have to chase him for days and days and days and days and days. So the mere idea of drawing this limited picture in the Bible, there's something we're missing. Because it don't work to chase this goat out in the wilderness. There's a famous painting, or drawing, painting, I guess it's kind of a watercolor, of a guy trying to get the goat to go out into the wilderness. And he's carrying a baby goat on his shoulders, and the goat is following him. And all the people are behind, and they're supposedly throwing rocks at the goat. And they, some of them look like they're pretty big rocks. <laughs> the guy's standing right there. I hope they're good at throwing. But you can do that all day long. That goat will be back in the morning. So what is it really about? It doesn't make any sense. It isn't going to work. And so what do they talk about? This scapegoat, which is actually composed of other letters. Lamad, Zayan, Elef, Zayan, Ayan. So what is that all about? What are they talking about? I actually may have some of that order wrong. I'll have to go back and correct that. I haven't looked at this in a while, so I'll, I'll go over this today. But uh, I have to go out on the desert after the show. But we'll talk about it in the afternoon show. But right away, because God also put me in a place where I raise goats and sheep. I'm a shepherd on the desert. When I read about David and being a shepherd, I got a lot better perspective than the average city dweller. <laughs> of Wait a minute. Now, wait, these are practical people. Life is hard. You, you just imagine... Hundreds of thousands of people leaving Egypt, traveling down that wadi, and having to move rocks out of the way so that they could get their wagons through, which evidently there's evidence of, that rocks were moved aside. Now, there's been floods since then and everything. But there had to be enough grass there to feed their livestock and and all this stuff. It was a miracle they made it. But they get all the way down that wadi. They end up crossing over. They're doing doing all this stuff. They, this is hard. They, they needed practical ways of taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of society. And burning up sheep and goats on piles of dead stone was not the solution. It never was the solution. It was not what the biblical text was talking about. And I don't believe that they wanted you to put your hands on a goat and chase it out. You know, I can tell you this, that well, you know, they have actually found that people who have depression and anger issues and bipolar issues, they are 150% better off simply exercising daily than getting therapy or taking drugs or both. Peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.